0: sideline. He has not stepped out. He may go all the way. He needs one block and he'll do it easily. Promise Mess I wouldn't do this. McDavid stops up. What a move. Shoots. Scores.
1: Welcome to The Outsiders, powered by the Macintosh Group at REMAX River City. It's podcast 87. Actually, is it 87? It is. It's hard to believe it's 87. I guess I've gone into this COVID haze that everybody's gone into. I'm Bryn Griffiths. He's Robin Brownlee. And joining us from Calgary, Derek Wills, the radio voice of the Calgary Flames on Sportsnet 960, the fan. Gentlemen, how's everybody doing?
0: Good morning, guys. It's the Sydney Crosby of Podcasts, number 87. <laughs> it is. It's <laughs> never, never so far, pretty that, high. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, uh, when we set this up about a week ago, we were really just wanting to talk about the Calgary Flames and how they were handling COVID, but things have changed dramatically over the past forty eight hours. But first things first, Derek, let's talk about what's going on in Calgary, what's happening with the Flames. You've been out of action now for is it almost been a week?
0: Yeah, I'm uh, starting to lose track of the days. They're starting to blend together again, guys. And I can't believe we're back to this point. I mean, 21, 22 months into this thing, when it when it first hit, it it took me off guard. And and I thought, okay, well, you know, give it a week or two, and this thing will be over, and we'll be back to to living life again. And uh, it felt like we were for a little while anyway. But now it feels like uh, March of 2020 again. So. Yeah, it's it's been a little while since the Flames played. They've had their last what is it four games now postponed, uh, which is certainly something that we didn't see coming. But uh, they were lucky for a long time, you know. Whether it be you know going back to the return to play or you know getting through last season, they had a, a COVID case here or there, or COVID scare here or there, and even even earlier this season, nothing. And then all of a sudden, it just hit them like a freight train. And the, the thing is, and you guys know how it is. Uh, Pretty tight confines inside of Scotiabank Saddle Dome and a lot of arenas around the National Hockey League. So if one guy gets sick, especially with something uh, like COVID, and uh, we don't know for sure how many guys have Omicron, but uh, apparently it's uh, very highly transmittable. uh, If you're in tight confines with somebody who has it, chances are you're going to get it. And you know what, guys? I'm not sure it's a terrible thing that it's happened this way. Obviously, you think about the health and the safety and, and from what we've been told, most of the cases are asymptomatic. There have been a handful of players, coaches, staff, family members that have had mild symptoms, uh, I think a couple with moderate symptoms, but those have quickly turned around. So uh, cross our fingers and hope everybody stays healthy or at least stays uh, away from getting really sick from this thing, but yeah, it, it came out of nowhere and it's completely turned everybody's lives upside down again, unfortunately. <laughs>
2: Well, well derek I got a note here that the the flames haven't even skated uh since December 11th i think it is and you know so now we're at nine days uh you've got more games that have been postponed i mean you get into uh you know the the covid part of it aside, we're having an unnatural break put into yet another season. It's changing that timetable of when and how things should happen. And it's hard to get over that if you're doing some form of that two seasons in a row, right?
0: It certainly is. Uh, I mean, you feel sorry for them because I know that the the players and the coaches and the staff that uh, did uh, test positive for COVID, they're worried about, everybody that they've been in contact with and are in contact with. So, you know, the health and safety part of it is, is first and foremost and everybody keeps uh, reminding us of that, but there is the hockey side of it as well. And it's obviously far from ideal. This is a team that uh, has played some really good hockey this season, but uh, went into this COVID shutdown on a four game losing streak, the, the longest losing streak they've had. So, you know, when you look at it from a hockey perspective, they're interested to get back on the ice and play in games again so they can get their season back on track. They've suddenly fallen into a tie with the Oilers for third place in the Pacific Division, a division that they've led for the vast majority of uh, the last month or month and a half. So they do want to get back on the ice. But right now, uh, the majority of the team is still in COVID protocol. And I guess the good news, if you're looking really hard for a silver lining, I think this would be it is that because basically the entire team has been put in COVID protocol, when you tack on the games that have been postponed to the Christmas break, they should all be out of it in time for that game against the Oilers on the 27th, or at least most of them should be out of it as long as they stay asymptomatic. So the Flames lost the majority of their team. They should get the majority of it back in time to play their next game. But, yeah, it's going to be tough. And, and I really do wonder what the the team's going to do, what the league's going to do. And, hey, let's knock on wood and hope the Oilers stay healthy here. Because if, if it suddenly starts spreading through their dressing room, then that game on the 27th that we're all looking forward to could get postponed as well. But, you know, if the Flames do play that game, I do wonder if the team and the league will talk about potentially – allowing them to skate on boxing day, which is normally something that they wouldn't do, but these guys haven't been on the ice. So you'd, I think be risking injury, physical injury. If you ask them to play in the battle of Alberta without even a practice Mm -hmm. in between the shutdown and then starting up again. So we'll see what happens, but, uh, I don't think it's unprecedented. I remember the Flames played a game, I think it was in Denver, on on the 27th of December, coming out of the Christmas break. This is a number of years ago. And they actually allowed them to skate. The players said, hey, we want to skate. Yeah. So the NHL and the NHLPA were able to agree on that. They skated on the 26th, traveled on the 27th, and, and played the game. So we'll see if they end up doing that.
1: Well, you also bring up something interesting. Edmonton and Calgary are so close that they may kind of – I know that the NHL Players Association like to get the teams in the night before any game, but in this particular case on the 27th, and who knows, somebody could be listening to this podcast in January, but we're not there right now. I can see them actually uh, probably waiving that rule and telling the Edmonton Oilers, if you want to do a morning skate where you're at and then fly in right afterwards and then fly out right afterwards, that would make perfect sense to me. Every once in a while, both the Players Association and the league certainly have got to do the right thing. Is, am I wrong?
0: No, I mean, I think that makes a lot of sense as well. And you also, I think, would limit the potential spread of this thing if, if you had them separated for as long as you possibly could. So, I mean, we're living life now, and we have to adjust on the fly, really. And, and, you know, I think the league and the players have done a really good job of that since the start of this going back to 2020, March of 2020. And, and I think that's the reason why they've been able to hand out the Stanley Cup the last couple of seasons. I just, this was really unexpected for me in this 2021-2022 season, guys, because I thought we were past this. But clearly we're not. Uh, hopefully we are sometime soon. But it's... Uh, it's something that I think has really thrown a curveball at at everybody. And and I feel sorry for the schedule makers because, you know, there I believe are five teams now that have been shut down until after the Christmas break. Now you've got to reschedule a bunch of games. Uh, and if, if players do end up going to the Olympics, that three week window is gone. Even if they don't, I think it's gone for a lot of teams who have already booked things into their yep. building. Yep. So yeah, just, uh, not best case scenario here, guys, but uh, we're, we're all trying to get through it the best we can.
2: Well, well Derek, and I understand completely uh, the people who say, come on, enough already. Um, we're tired of it. Uh, the, the problem is, and please jump in if I'm wrong, I don't like saying this, but it doesn't matter if we're tired of it. COVID is not tired of us and as much of a pain in the ass as it is, we can't sort of just pick away at it and do the minimum because we want to keep going because it's been a tough slog. I think we have to find a way and maybe there's not a way let's leave that as a possibility to stop it in its tracks finally, because now is not the time to half-ass it. We've got to go at it as hard as we can to finally get out from underneath it. What do you think?
0: Yeah, it's a tough one. I mean, I really wonder where the players are at with all of this. And a couple have been vocal about it. So you've got Nick Cousins on the one side saying, shut it down until after Christmas. right? And then you've got Connor Hellebuck on the other side saying, no, we don't want to shut it down. We want to play hockey people need to watch us play hockey. And hey, I completely understand that. I'll, I'll let you guys in on a I wouldn't say a little secret, but something that I haven't talked a lot about. I have talked a little bit about it, so uh, I'll share it with you guys, but you know, mental health as far as I'm concerned wasn't really a thing for me until the pandemic started. And then and I'm not ashamed to say that, you know, during the spring and summer of 2020, I was probably at the lowest point of my life. You know, there were a lot of things that were chaotic on both the personal and professional side and you know that the season got shut down and suddenly what I love to do more than anything else call hockey games wasn't a thing uh, although I did do some some games of uh, I think it was NHL 2020 at the time the Flames asked me to to call some simulated games so that gave me something to do but um, that coming to an end uh, was hard for me to deal with and um, being kind of alone and isolated and and not having people around was tough for me and that was the the low point of my adult life and you you fight to get through that and then feel like you're out on the other side. And then this happens again. Now, thankfully I've got a great support system around me with my, my girlfriend. I hadn't seen my dad since the start of the pandemic. Uh, He flew into town on Wednesday. So I get to spend a few weeks with him, which is great, but uh, I love calling hockey games. So not being able to call hockey games, not being able to golf as we joked about uh, before the show started, uh, not being able to do the things I love is tough, but um, we also have to to get through this COVID thing. And I don't know how to do that or when that's going to happen, but I do see it from both sides. I think the mental health side sometimes gets lost. You know, thankfully we have people like Kelly Rudy who are willing to share their story yeah. and, and talk about some of their struggles because it's helped me feel comfortable doing that. And, you know, I, I think you guys would agree. If if we can help one person feel comfortable you know, talking to somebody about what they're struggling with. And I think we've, we've done our job. So uh, I understand the mental health side of things. And I do think that hockey, I, I think that sports in general can really be an escape for people. And, and right now they, they have that escape, but maybe they don't have it with their favorite team, right? Like flames fans don't have it right now. So there is that side of it, but then you have to trust the, the experts, the Uh, the doctors and and the medical community and follow their advice. And I know there are still some people out there that don't want to get vaccinated. And Hey, we live in a free country where you get to make your own choices. And uh, I'm not going to sit here and and question anybody for, for making the choice not to get vaccinated, but I've chosen to get vaccinated. I've had three shots now, two AstraZeneca's and one Pfizer and, and I'm fully boosted. I think I can probably fly if I get another shot. So we'll see what happens when, uh, when that happens, if that happens, but Um, I I think there's got to be a balance there. And I don't know if there's a right answer. I I think there's way more gray than black and white when it comes to this. I do think eventually we're going to have to get back to living our lives. So I I guess to make a long answer, just a little bit longer, what I'm hoping happens, and I've done a lot of research on this Omicron, and I'm not a doctor, not going to pretend to be one on the radio or on this podcast, but it it sounds like it's highly transmittable, but not a lot of people are going to the hospital because of it. And, and I, I, last time I checked, one person worldwide had died with it, not necessarily because of it. Maybe that number has changed. So hopefully this is the beginning of the end. Uh, how to get to the end, I guess, is the big question. And again, I don't know if there's a right answer or a wrong answer, guys. Uh, and I hate to, to be Switzerland or t- to ride the fence here. Uh, I, I just hope sometime soon doctors discover that this is – Kind of like a a cold or a flu, something that we can live with and we don't have to to stop living because of. So uh, when we get to that point, maybe we'll end up uh, finally out on the other side. Yeah,
1: uh, I'm with you on that. Let, let's get back to some of the stuff that that we know a little bit about, and that is the National Hockey League. So, uh, and Robin and I were talking about this just before you joined us, Derek, and and that is, yes, the Pooley situation. The Oilers delayed their flight into Seattle on Friday to make sure they found out everybody that maybe had something before they even left the ground in Edmonton to head across the border. Yes, he uh, ends up uh, testing positive on Saturday, and everyone said he's going to be stuck there for 10 days. They have a private plane, so they were able to get him back on Sunday night into Edmonton and uh, basically get him into a contained situation. That is the one benefit of having a lot of cash in a private plane, When you're an an Oilers or a Flames organization, you have the the means to do that. But what it did do, and it certainly uh, made it perfectly clear on Saturday night, I heard lots of talk about it around the league, is people looked at that particular situation and went, look, this is not the time to be stranding guys in the U.S. So maybe we got to do something. So they got going on it. Now we're in a situation where there's a little bit of a break over the holidays here. And the question that I'm starting to... uh, pose is, are, are we going to see maybe a two-week delay in all games to kick off the new year? And in some ways, I think that would be a good idea. You alluded to it briefly earlier. They have a three-week window with the Olympics, which maybe they could make up the games, but it's easy in Canadian markets when your hockey team is the number one property in the building. They've already given up those dates to concert and basketball games in the U.S., this is not a worst-case scenario for the National Hockey League. Correct me if I'm wrong, guys. This is the absolute worst-case scenario that we're in right now with the National Hockey League. That's how I view it. Uh, Robin and Derek, uh, you, your thoughts on that?
0: You jump in, Robin, and, and then I'll follow
1: up.
2: Well, you know, the, the thing is you, you you set down a road, you make a plan, and like you say, if, a, if, if there's a break scheduled uh, – even if it's forced upon a team uh, because, okay, look, now we're looking, we got whether it's the Flames, what was it? 17, 19 players and personnel out. The Oilers have have certainly been touched by this. I think it's four players and and Dave Tippett uh, by this. So that's five members of the team. If you decide uh, as a team or as a league, you're not going to have games in this building. Well, other things get booked. It's you know, buildings need cash flow. They need business. And then if things change in a week, as they tend to do, because this is very fluid, you can't say, "Oh, that concert we booked, we got it." Yeah, no, no, we're, we changed our mind. We're going to play hockey again on that date. Like it, there's a ripple effect especially in buildings in big cities that are busy all the time, you can't say, well, we'll block off this 10-day period and then change your mind because in that 10-day period, you may have with car shows and concerts and and, and gospel traveling, gospel shows, you could have four events in that 10 days that are booked into the building. You can't say, "Whoop, back it up, we changed our mind. Uh, Logistically, it's, it's a big schmozzle, isn't it?
0: It certainly is, and, and probably a lot more difficult in some buildings. Uh, I mean, think about Madison Square Garden or Staples Center. Uh, by the time people are listening to this, it might be Crypto.com Arena by then. But yeah. those buildings are, are busy almost every single day. Yeah. In Calgary, the Flames are lucky. They own the Roughnecks, they own the hitman. and if they had to, to move those games to adjust their schedule, I'm sure that's something they could do or would do. But Not that easy in a lot of buildings, probably more difficult up at Rogers place because they have more events than than we do at Scotiabank Saddle Dome. So we'll have to wait and see how it plays out. And then when it comes to the Olympic break, yeah, there's a three week gap in the schedule there, but that's something the NHL PA negotiated with the NHL. And I know that there are probably a number of players who are wondering, should I go, shouldn't I go to Beijing? But I think there are still a lot of players that want to go guys. And, and that could change between now and when they have to ultimately make that decision. But that Olympic break, I, I know that it, it's not looking good for, for NHLers to, to be in China, but I'm not sure that that thing is done quite yet. And again, what happens here in the next couple of weeks as far as is how leagues adjust to, to, to COVID uh, might have a huge impact on what they decide to do when it, when it comes to sending NHLers to the Olympics. Because look at what the NFL has done, guys. They've already changed their protocol. So basically, uh, if you can test negative uh, twice, 24 hours apart, you're back in. And and they're going to stop testing asymptomatic players regularly. So the the NFL has already adjusted their protocol to allow the games to go on. And and I wonder if the NHL is going to get to a point where they do that as well.
2: You know, Derek, I'll say this and and then I'll, I'll, I'll say my piece. Bryn knows my piece. Um this, to me, uh, this COVID situation has, it, I don't even say it's the straw that breaks the camel's back. And I understand the commitment athletes have made and that under the best circumstances, we keep politics way over here and sports way over there but I'm not going to freaking China under the best of circumstances, given their human rights record. I'm not doing it. I'm not sending anybody. It sucks for the athletes who train their entire lives to compete in these. But on top of COVID on top of everything else, sorry, China, I'm not going clean up your act. That's my piece.
0: Yeah. I, I, try to stay as far away from politics as humanly possible for a number of reasons. Uh, Number one, I don't know enough about it to, uh, to offer an educated opinion. And number two, um, my job is difficult enough trying to make people happy when you're, when you're following in the footsteps of Peter Mar and trying to follow, fill those big shoes. You've already got some people that don't like you. So I don't need any more people that don't like me because of my views on politics.
1: Whoa, 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 but you've been doing it for a while now. And as much as we love Pete, and we got to get him on our podcast at some point here in the new year. You've been around long enough where people – don't tell me people are still saying, well, he's no Peter Marr, because you're sounding oh, yeah. great. You also have the privilege of working next to a guy that I love, and Peter Lombardius, who right now has got to be on walking on eggshells with the World Juniors coming up, and we don't know what's happening yeah. with that. But yeah. are you telling me you're still facing some of that?
0: Oh, I, I think I'll I'll face that forever, to be honest with you, brand It's uh, – it just comes with the job. And I knew it when I took it. Um, and I hope the well, the guy that took over for me in Hamilton uh, is no longer doing that job, but, uh, hopefully the guy that took over for him, uh, doesn't have to hear about that. Uh, but it's, uh, it's an honor to, to follow in the footsteps of a hall of famer like Peter Mars. So I, I used to kind of take offense to when people said that, but now it's, uh, it's something I hope that they say about me 20 years down the road, um, when you do the job as well as Peter did it, for as long as Peter did it, then uh, you belong on the Mount Rushmore broadcasters, and it's something we all kind of to strive for. So uh, it used to bother me, and, and now it doesn't. But, yeah, there are still people that say, well, he's you no know Peter Barr, bring back Peter, but uh, that just comes with the territory, so it's okay. Has
1: and Pete, Pete not dragged you out for a brewski to talk about it and tell you just oh, to yeah. ignore it? Because no. that's what he did with me in Calgary.
0: Yeah. He has been unbelievable guys really since the day that I got here and and three or four days after I arrived in town, uh, they had his going away party and the late Ken King was up at the microphone and said something along the lines of Derek Wills has the hardest job at Alberta. And I'm like, Oh, thanks a lot. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I don't know anybody in this room outside of Peter Lovardius and the guy who hired me, Kelly Kirsch, but, uh, thanks for, for saying that. But, um, it, it, I mean, hardest job in the world? No. I mean, especially if you think about the healthcare workers, the frontline workers, yeah. what they've had yeah. to deal with the last 22 months. Uh, that might not be the hardest job in the world, but it's, it's right up there. And, and I certainly admire those people, but what we do guys is try to be a distraction from what's happening in the real world. Right. Um, which, which for me, that's one of the great parts of this job. If If someone's having a bad day and you know, they turn on their television or turn on the radio and they watch a hockey game and it makes them feel a little bit better Then uh, that makes me feel good about uh, the, the job that I've, I've done.
2: Well, you know what, uh, Derek, and, and not saying this just because you're on with us, I listen to your call and I love your call and I love Peter's call. You should probably go out for dinner sometime with Jack Michaels because he's got the same thing here. Rod Phillips kind of hung you know, around here for a while and yeah. and put his stamp on this team i tell you what um and i sat beside rod for a long time on that plane i love jack michael's call now you you know we're all bren and i are of a certain age sometimes you get settled in and used to something and yeah sometimes you don't like the change just because it's a change you don't really look at it and see is it change for the good or is this got it you know is there something good about this when I first heard Jack, it's like, well, I don't like Jack Michaels. I don't like the way he calls these games. Well, it's because it was different than the way Rod called games. Yeah. yeah. And I listen to him. I go, this is great. And, I mean, I can't speak for your audience, but it's got to be sort of the same thing down there, I would think.
0: Well, I would hope so. Um, as far as Rod Phillips goes, don't forget, guys, I grew up a diehard Oilers fan. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, that was a change for me. And I was lucky enough uh, during my time in the American Hockey League Uh, especially when the Bulldogs were the Oilers AHL affiliate to spend some time with Rod in the broadcast booth. He was kind enough to to let me hang out in the broadcast booth in Buffalo and Toronto a few times and, and I'd be back there with a notepad and a pen, just uh, taking notes. And I, I did that with Rick Jetteret, um <laughs> as well. A number of times uh, you learn from the best in the business. And, and I was fortunate that uh, those guys would uh, kind of let me in and, and allow me to do that. But uh, I loved Rod Phillips call and I love Jack Michael's call and Jack, has a unique call a passionate call and, and I, I kind of think I'm like Jack in that sense that you know, we're both very passionate about the game and about calling the game and Jack's one of my closest friends as far as play-by-play guys around the league go so uh, we've had a few beers together in the past I'm sure we'll have some more in the future and uh, yeah I'm sure it wasn't uh, easy on him as it uh, wasn't easy on me at times but we've got we've got unbelievable gigs so we don't complain too much Hey how's Peter
1: Labardi holding up because we've been talking uh, before we even started up this uh, this podcast today about the fact that I walk through the Sutton place building uh, the hotel here walk through the lobby a couple of times a day the fencing is up the banners are up the world Juniors is about ready to start but we just don't know in what manner is it going to start and I and nobody nobody that I can think of cares as much about the world juniors as Peter does. And and yeah. he knows everything about every team. I love it. It's a great event. I'm hoping that the organization locally that had to suck it up last year and put on an event that nobody could go to don't have to go through that again this year before it reverts over to Russia next year. But uh, I guess we should, we're we all kind of keeping our fingers crossed that this event gets going here and that uh, we see another great event with people in the seats.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, not only is he the biggest fan of the World Junior Championships, but he's the biggest fan of junior hockey. Oh, yeah. I know. And, and maybe Sam Cosentino's right up there. Right there. Their friends. Right but I, I do know that uh, what has happened with the Flames, World Juniors has helped Peter Lombardi kind of get through what's been a tough time for us because uh, he was at that uh, exhibition game in Red Deer yesterday. I was supposed to be there as well, but uh, as usually happens with me, I double book myself, so... Had to pull out of that, but you know, he was up in Banff and he was watching uh, the training camp in Banff, and he was at uh, Windsport uh, before that, so he loves it. And uh, for his sake and for hockey fans across the country and, and their sake, I hope they do play the tournament. But you're right, uh, a lot of work has gone into it uh, for both the folks in Edmonton and Red Deer, and I hope they play the tournament.
1: Do you like? Uh, do you like Canada as the favorite? Are we always going to be the favorite, or is that a Canadian way of viewing this event? Because it just seems if we don't win gold, it's a disappointment. And I think these kids work really hard. It's always exciting hockey. But uh, uh, the other thing too, we have four Edmonton Oil Kings uh, right locally that are, are part of this Team Canada. But I think it right now they've probably got as good a shot as anybody. Do they not?
0: Yeah. Well, I asked Lou about it, and uh, again, he knows as much as anybody, and. The forward group is incredibly strong, he told me. A uh, little top-heavy on defense. Um, but, yeah, they should be the favorite, I would think. What do you guys think? Well, that's what I think,
1: and I'm watching the goaltending very carefully because I one thing I've learned, in fact, I was listening back to a podcast I did in Prague at the World Juniors in the Czech Republic two years ago, and a lot has happened to me in the last two years, let alone the rest of the world. But the one thing that having a chance to talk to the scouts when you're not in your own country and you get a chance to really talk to guys without a lot of distraction. And they always point out the one thing, that if your goaltending sucks at this event or is adequate, you just don't have a shot. And it just yeah. sounds like the goaltending is very solid this year for Canada. So I think that right now, I think that they, they... I'd like to think they're going to be the team to beat, especially if there's a crowd. Because if there's a crowd, that'll take it to the next level. So uh, so I like their chances here. We'll, we'll see. Robin, I don't know if you've been watching it Carefully, I know you will be in another week or so.
2: I just know. um, I mean, if we're talking about Canada and 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 you know the oil kings involved, I mean, I haven't seen a much larger group of scouts who had uh, such high regard for a goaltender as Sebastian Kosa in in a while. Um, You know, he wasn't the top rated. There was who was the European goaltender rated above him? Uh, who went uh, going into the draft. But Kosa, I I know the Oilers were staring at this kid yeah. in their own yeah. backyard, Ken Holland, sitting in the stands, sort of like whistling and looking around like, eh, just taking in a little practice here with, you know, a little oil. Okay. He had his eyes on this kid, and they wanted him. They never got the shot at him. So, yeah, I mean, I'm trying to think. I'm trying, trying to think, is there a year when goaltending isn't important? I'm trying to go back to... Gee, Saskatoon, the World Junior Championship I did with Bourre and Lindros there, and the good old Flames goaltender whose name escapes me now, who was Canada's goaltender back then. Oh, my brain! Hang on, it'll come That's to good. us. It'll come to us in about five minutes. But you know uh, what I'm talking about, right? Oh yeah, ninety
0: one is was it or ninety? World Junior team was unbelievable. Um, yes, and remember how dominant Lindros was—just a, a man amongst boys at that time. Yeah,
2: yeah. And and oh, although there was a there was a joker in the deck uh, for for Bure and Lindros and all the guys that uh, made an impact there. The top defenseman of the tournament uh, that year was Yuri Slager. Yeah. Well, well, that's it. Didn't quite. It didn't quite. The follow-up career didn't quite match that, given all the defensemen that were there. But yeah, Yuri Slager. But that's the best part of this. Come on,
1: that's the best part of this. Robin, is we watch some kids can handle it, some kids cannot handle it, and then you always watch somebody come to the fore at this event, and then you never hear from them again. And then there's some other guys that are absolutely dominant, and then go on to dominant careers. I just think that that's part of the charm of this event. The other thing too, having done four and a half, five years of play-by-play in the Western Hockey League, the one thing that I always loved about the dub is that every kid plays every shift like it's their last. And in some cases, it is. And that's exactly how they tend to view it at the World Juniors. There is no down, there's no, there's only one flow. There's no ebb and flow to any of these World Junior games. It's always way up here. The emotional level is way, way up here. And that's exactly how I love it. And, Derek, I don't know what's appealing about it to you other than the fact that you get a chance to cheer for your your country. That's the best part of it all.
0: Trevor Kid, by the way. I just Googled Thank it. Thank you. Yeah, there we Trevor, go. Yes. Duh. It was going to bug me if, if I didn't know who the, who it was. <laughs> I knew it, I, it yeah, would happen. The name wasn't popping into my brain. Peter Lobardi used to be uh, really disappointed with me right now that I didn't uh, know the answer to that. He'd have got question. it two minutes but, yeah. earlier. You know that. Oh, he would have he got it before the question actually <laughs> – yeah fully came out of your mouth, but yeah. I just, I love watching hockey. I love cheering for my country. So fingers
2: crossed that tournament goes on. Yeah, that, you know what, that's, I completely agree. I'm, I haven't covered one in a while and I tell you what, it's terrific. Whether it's the nationalistic thing or, or them. There's I think there's less them and us now. If you go back far enough, you know, it, it almost ages like those old Rocky movies. There's no iron curtain anymore. It's not the it's not those big, bad Ruskies from, you know, it's a. it's a it's a bigger world and uh you know, hockey's far more integrated now. But I tell you what, some of the best moments I ever had have been covering the world junior. I mean uh, I don't know how many you've done, but uh, of top 10 highlights covering hockey in, in my journalism career, probably half of them are World Junior mode. Really? Yeah. Well, it's funny because I am probably the
0: biggest Rocky fan that you will find. <laughs> I I was born in 76, so that's the year Rocky came out. Uh, yep. I've actually got an original Rocky poster. Not not the one that came out when the, the movie first came out, right. but it was in theaters for so long. It's actually one of the folded up ones, um, that has the, um, <laughs> would be the, not the Grammy, but the Emmy award on yeah, it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so Oscar. Of I've got God Ro- Oscar. Yeah. yeah uh, go. Rocky four is my favorite movie of all time. Yeah. And it's funny. You, you bring up the iron curtain. Did you see the jerseys that Russia was wearing at that channel one cup with the CCCP on them? Old time you know, hockey. Yeah. I was like, what? It was, yeah. uh, and you know what? Uh, I should, probably shouldn't say this but I will and maybe I'll get in trouble for it but I think the Russian national anthem is a beautiful song. It is. I really do. Yeah.
1: It is. And uh <laughs> I am also a little partial to the Welsh national anthem uh with my background <laughs> but but anyway the, the most amazing thing and you've obviously talked about dealing with some mental health issues here but the other thing that's standing out from this interview for me is Rocky 4. Like what what grabbed you about Rocky 4?
0: Well, I know there's a lot of political undertones in that movie, which uh, as a kid, I didn't you know, understand. Right. Uh, probably still don't understand, but uh, like they were trying to make the Russians look big and bad. Right. So Rocky was this wholesome guy yeah. with 4% body fat. Not sure he was really so wholesome <laughs> off camera, but then Drago shooting steroids into his arm. And that was, I was, I don't know the soundtrack for me is, is one of the best things about the movie. I could listen to that Rocky four soundtrack when I'm working out and there are just so many songs that pump you up. Right. So in the original, it was, "Eye of the tiger was, was the pump up song, which is great. But you know, the scene where Rocky's, he, he just went home, had this argument with Adrian and then he decides to go for a drive in his Lamborghini with the yeah. license plate Southpaw for Southpaw. Uh, and he, he puts on that one tune and he's getting these all these flashbacks, um, no easy way out. There you go. Like, like that's a Robert Tepper song, but there are so many on like the, the training montage when he's, uh, he's in the middle of, I, it wasn't Russia by the way, where that movie was filmed. It was like Idaho or something like that. Yep. But he's, he's slogging through the snow, climbing the mountain. Uh, I get that movie. I don't know why it, 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 it's still number one to this day, but I, I saw it in theaters Back in 1985. So maybe that has something to do with it. I remember going uh, to watch it with one of my older cousins, but I just love that movie. So if I rank the Rockies, it would be Rocky Four and then Rocky. I'm torn between two and three. I love three because Hulk Hogan and Mr. T are in it. Yeah. But two is probably a better movie. Five is terrible. Let's be honest. Rocky Five is definitely the worst of the whole series. One too many. And then you get to Rocky. Yeah, and, but then you get to Rocky Balboa. Forgot about that one. Rocky Balboa was really good, right? Like Rocky <laughs> kind of makes fun of himself, right? Because in the original movie, he drinks the, the raw eggs. Remember before he goes out for his run yep. in yep. Philadelphia? Well, then he tries to do that during his comeback in Rocky Balboa and he basically spits them out. They're terrible, right? And then the two Creed movies. Have you guys seen the Creed movies? No. Hmm. There we go. I, no, I know. You, it's you a, now have an assignment. I, I you know lost. They you? lost me at number four. But anyway, okay. No, you you have to watch the Creed movies; they're unbelievable. <laughs> okay. And Creed Two is basically a sequel to Rocky Four, so they bring back all of the original characters from Rocky Four. Okay. So you you have to watch those, and I want your review on Creed and Creed Two the next time. I gotta,
2: I gotta tell you before we get back to hockey, so Derek, now which Rocky? one of the rocky movies the arena was not in russia it was the agricom in vancouver right beside the old pacific coliseum where yeah, the Connection Rocky Club, 4 that was rocky 4 um <clears throat> and now the one with tommy morrison That's
1: here's 5 wow yeah
2: You're i was like it. down i was down at the mgm grand uh for the, for the i want to say the journal to cover um, the Mike Tyson Frank Bruno fight. Wow! And wow. Tommy Morrison was there, and we we were scrumming him in the tent outside with Don King overdoing one scrum. Unfortunately, we know what happened with Tommy Morrison, who's passed away now. But at the time, I remember somebody when they first brought up the Rocky movie, I mean, we were there to talk about real boxing, not Rocky, but somebody, you know, his acting career. And I made the remark. That man, that was the lamest Rocky. And he looked over at me in the scrum, and I thought I was, I thought I was going to be eating right hands in front of him. It was, it was a, it was an oh shit moment. Did I really yeah. say that out loud? Uh, about this? Well, y- you weren't wrong, but I'm not sure I would
0: say that to no. tell me the machine gun inner voice, please. Hey, hey, uh, before we wrap
1: up the Rocky talk here, so uh, the times you've gone to Philadelphia, have you done the steps of the public library just to do the Rocky thing?
0: Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, and I'll tell you what the most disappointing thing was for me. Philadelphia is one of my favorite cities on the road, and I so miss being on the road this season. But I I would just walk around, whether it be at the old Spectrum, because they used to have the the Rocky statue outside of the Spectrum, because they moved it from the art gallery to the Spectrum, and I think it's back at the art gallery now. Uh, a couple of years ago, I saw some really, I think it was when Creed, Creed 2 was coming out, but uh, I saw some really cool videos where they, they had the statue at the top of the stairs yep. and people would run the stairs and Sylvester Stallone was standing at the top. Yeah. Waiting wow. for them. Like what a moment that must have been wow. for those Rocky fans, right? Oh, yeah. I, I, I get chills thinking about it. But the most disappointing thing for me is I wanted to go to Mighty Mix Gym. And get a t-shirt i'm thinking <laughs> right because that because that's a big part of the rocky movies right um so i i googled it and and i took an uber out there this is like three or four years ago and it was a dollar store brutal mighty mix gym is it like shouldn't that be a rocky museum or something oh so, yeah like, come on yeah yeah
1: Okay, before we wrap things up here, uh, the Calgary Flames, as you mentioned, on a losing skid haven't been on the ice since the 11th of December. Edmonton Oilers go in on a six-game losing skid, kind of putting it back together a little bit. Now we've got this lengthy delay. How tough is it going to be for both of these two Alberta teams to get back playing the way they were playing through the months of October and November?
0: Well, I think they're going to need some practice time, especially the Flames, because... Uh, practice time has been hard to come by with the schedule between the games and the travel, all the road games. So their details start at the slip. And and Daryl Sutter talked about some of the challenges of the schedule. And every team goes through those stretches. But the the Flames have had three long road trips this season, a five game, a seven game, and a four game, and two trips out east. So it's really cut into their practice time. So I think it's going to be difficult for them to get back to where they were as far as the details and and being so tight defensively until they get some more practice time. But, you know, I think about that game on the 27th, and guys, let's knock on wood and hope that we see the Battle of Alberta on the 27th, because both teams will be so pumped up to play what would already be an intense game, I think, will be just that much more intense, especially if it's inside of a full building. But for for Daryl Sutter... It's all about making sure that the details are there. And, and those certainly started to slip. I think even before the four-game losing streak, uh, I think about that four-game road trip where they won the first couple of games. They got wins in, in L.A. and Anaheim, but didn't play all that well. Um, so uh, probably a bit more difficult for the Flames because it's been such a long layoff, but I'm sure tough for the Oilers as well. And, and the, the season's already been compacted because of the three-week break in February. Now it's going to be even more compacted. I'm not sure how many back-to-backs the Orders had on their schedule. The Flames had 14. Like normally for teams in Western Canada, yeah. if you're into double-digit back-to-backs, that's a lot. But 14 of them, and who knows, that might turn into 20 with, with the rescheduling of these games.
2: Well, from a selfish point of view, I really enjoyed the start that both teams got off to. I thought... Yeah, we can say battle of Alberta. It's only a battle of Alberta when both teams are good. And we haven't always had but that. they are. Yeah. yeah. Um, and of course, then the next step is, yeah, but we need a playoff series as well. First things first, let's get a good regular season. And what I like is the way the Flames, and there's been changes since last season, I thought the Flames might morph more quickly uh, under Daryl when the change was made last year from Jeff Ford, that sometimes takes time. It clearly did then because there wasn't the turn turnaround that I thought we might see that certainly happened this year. And with the Oilers start, tell you what, I'm thinking about fans in this province. It's nothing but good news if both the flames and the Oilers are good. And we don't have that often enough.
0: Yeah. And I, I do think both teams are good. And I think there's a pretty good chance they meet in the playoffs this year, guys.
2: Yeah. Again, I've,
0: knock on wood, but yeah. if the Golden Knights win the division, I think the Flames and Oilers could, could face off in the first round.
1: I've been explaining to the boys at home the, the differences between the Battle of Alberta that they've been watching and the ones that I watched in the 80s. And I said, when you get into the playoffs and the two teams square off against one another, wins and losses are multiplied times 100. It's like mm-hmm. you will feel like absolute, the greatest the greatest thing going when your team wins and when your team loses in the Battle of Alberta in a playoff, it's about as low as you're going to feel and uh, yeah. while watching sports. So, yeah, let's keep our fingers crossed on that. Hey, listen, got a roll.
0: And hold on. Yes. One last thing. Yes. What, what you didn't have, what we didn't have back then yeah. was social media. As excited as I oh, get yeah. thinking about... Battle of Alberta in the playoffs. Yep. Think about it with social media. Oy. Like I, I might just stay off of it for the entirety <laughs> yeah. of the series.
2: Yeah, it'll be it'll be pretty, uh, pretty crazy. Hey, uh, I'm trying to trying to think of trying to think of Tim Hunter on Twitter. <laughs> he, I think he actually is on Twitter. He's been on Instagram, Instagram a lot lately by yeah. the way I've noticed. I mean I mean back then after another oh, scrap, yeah. after uh, another right. scrap with Sami.
0: Yeah. As hey, a I think I feel like he would have been super annoying on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> Only on yes. Twitter, yeah. yeah. If you could He's understand guys him on Twitter. Yeah. yeah. Hey, happy holidays
1: to you. Uh, a big hug from us uh You've gone through a a tough year. A lot of us have gone through that. And, uh, well, of course, we wish you'd continue success. And hopefully you're not on the golf course too quickly, right?
0: Yeah, uh, I would uh, prefer to start golfing uh, late June, early July. Uh, Let's hope the season doesn't push back too far. But uh, big hugs to you guys and and happy holidays to everybody uh, that is in your circle and everybody listening. The Outsiders is brought to you
1: by the McIntosh Group at REMAX River City. So here we are, we're inching a little bit closer to Christmas. And you would think that in the Metro Edmonton market, things would be slowing down a little bit on the real estate front, but it's surprisingly very steady right now, which is great. Brent McIntosh is just back from his European junket where he was representing Canada along with other REMAX agents from across Canada. They were over in Europe having some fun, but Brent's back now and He's quite pleased with the way things are moving along. In fact, he just sold a home for a really good friend of mine, Chris, just recently. It took about 30 days to to uh, sell and then Chris went on and bought another home in the in the market. So there is definitely something going on and it is a positive. But if you are looking to sell your current home and maybe buy something new, then make sure you give them a call at 780-464-0075 or you can check them out online at McIntoshGroup.ca. They'll start you off with a complimentary evaluation of your current home. There's no obligation at all and certainly no deadline for this offer, but don't let the market pass you by. So both buyers and sellers are more than welcome to call the Macintosh Group at Remax River City. You can do it directly. Once again, the phone number 780-464-0075 or you can find them at McIntoshGroup.ca and tell them the outsider sent you. So this is pretty much it as we wrap things up on episode 87. Robin, what a year it's been. It's been fun. It's been challenging. And there's more fun and more challenging stuff to come in the new year. But, uh, hey, before we go, let's talk about a few other things. The Edmonton Elks. I, I, I'm i a firm believer that, uh, that Chris Jones is going to get the general manager, head coach gig here. I'd be very surprised if he does not. I'm a little worried about a few things. Let me just quickly go through what concerns me, and then we'll get to your thoughts on it. But he didn't exactly leave here uh, in the best manner. He just up and left for Saskatchewan. That's left a bad taste in people's mouths. It still lingers with some people. However, he was the head coach of the football club the last time they won a Grey Cup, and that should figure into it. He does a great job of putting together a team. That should figure into it. Not really a guy that thinks about community at all. He's all about the football team. And I guess it depends on who they bring in as the president. We should know that pretty quickly. But uh, as for the football side of things, I can't see Chris Jones being a bad decision. It's just it's going to it's just gonna take a little bit of getting used to, I guess, to have him back. But uh, we've seen what he's done in the past, and if he can do that, then perhaps the team can find their way on the field. And then we'll see whether or not they're able to do it off the field. Your thoughts.
2: Well, you know, I think it's a sort of a, it can be a bit of a cliche to, you know, sometimes when teams say, or leagues for that matter, say, where are the fans? Uh, let, let's keep it local here uh, with the Elks. Uh, one of the things people say is forget the uh, the gimmicks and the this and the that and the halftime show and the presentation Winning solves a lot of problems. And I'm with you on the football side of it. Chris Jones is as solid a football man as you're going to find. He's going to get things done when it comes to the product on the field. The complication is, and we know it, there's been a disconnect here between the club and the fans. Yes. Whether the name change is part of that, whether the hiring of uh, somebody who wasn't even a Canadian guy the last time out as president, so on and so forth. Um, Some of the things that happened in this latest regime, there's been a separation there and the team hasn't been great shakes either. So I think if you get the product on the field, right. The other part that you've got to get right now is the mending of fences because there is that football base here. Look, the the Edmonton football base did not disappear. Now, it's been trickling away for – it wasn't just last year or the year before for – you can go back quite a, a while to see when things were different than they have been recently. So you got to get those people back. You want, you need the gate, you need the people in the seat. So that's the other challenge. What do they do with that? How do they address that? It's really important, but it's still, even in the circumstances here is secondary to getting a product on the field that people want to see. And Chris Jones can do that. And as for the president hire, it would be really
1: simple for me. There's a couple of things you can do to kind of get people back on side. One is you've got this ring of fame of players and organizational people who have been with the organization for a very, very long time. I'm not sure who the player will be, but if you're going to put two names up on the ring, uh, obviously uh, find a player that has been overlooked. And Dwayne Mandrusiak at 49 years with the organization, got to be done. Yeah. Uh, if you get uh, that done, you're taking steps in the right direction. It's a little more of a unique situation than a lot of other times where we've had to see this organization go through a bit of a rebuild because it's more than just on the field. It's off the field as well. And uh, I think we've got to separate the two here. I don't think, uh, you know, as much as I'm not convinced that Chris Jones is going to be the guy going out glad-handing at at, uh, Save On Foods on a picnic or something to promote the football club, his job is to win. And his job is to put the football team together. However, he might have to do a little glad-handing. He's going to have to get used to that. That's going to be part of it. The president's job. That, we can talk all we want about winning, and I'm totally with you. Wins does solve a lot of a problem that this team has had. However, uh, the president position for me is absolutely essential. If they can find somebody with a bit of a local angle, I think that'd be great. Somebody who mm. understands the importance of media. I, I went off the deep end about the, the radio deal being very constrictive and not not really uh, good for the football club. It just needs some tinkering with. So you need somebody who's got a bit of a background when it comes to how to handle a broadcast deal. There's all sorts of, of things that will be required, but that community connection with the president is going to be so essential. So, hey, I uh, want to talk about... I. I want to talk about Tiger Woods and Charlie Woods and John Daly and his son this past weekend because I just kind of latched on to this event It was uh, the the PNC championship in Florida and it was uh, Tiger playing with his kid Charlie who is unbelievable like it's just like I you know he's got he's got the old man I can say that now he's got the old man's mannerisms down to an art. Not only that, he was sticking it by the flag, like within a foot or two. It was so much fun to watch. And uh, to see John Daly having so much fun again after what, what has been a tumultuous career in so many ways, had the, as you refer to it as the heater going. Uh, I was smoking the cigarette, is watching his kid putt out on a couple and I laughed. But it was a fun, fun event for me to watch on Sunday afternoon. I really enjoyed it. And it was so nice to just forget about the world for a few hours. Also to watch somebody golfing in nice warm weather when we're going through this right now. It's just, I, I can't tell you how much I enjoyed watching it,
2: Robin. Well, I got to tell you, Brent, you and I talked about this. Um, to me, uh, and I loved seeing the highlights, and all I did was see the highlights. I didn't see the the uh, live event. Um, seeing that little guy uh with the black pants and the red nike jersey on just like dad and the mannerisms and the fact that he could beat 95 percent of the adults out there yeah uh, head to head on the golf course but there was a photo that ran just you know just a a shot of tiger uh, hugging his son and i tell you what um all the things that Tiger accomplished and, and the life he's lived and it always hasn't been a perfect life who who does live that perfect life. But uh, the fame and the money and all the stuff that's come his way, Um, You look at a picture like that, and to me, uh, I wonder if that's the bottom line for him right there. The other thing, uh, on a less serious note, I wasn't even aware that John Daly and his son were playing in it because I had only seen the Tiger highlights, and I thought, oh, that's sweet, that's cool, neat event. Um, But to actually see, I thought somebody's made done some photoshopping here because first of all, I hadn't seen any pictures of Daly with the big silver beard. And second, I didn't even know that he had a son and the son looked enough like him, including the sort of stocky build. I thought, come on, man, somebody's (laughs) made this. What are we going to see next? The kid with a rocket in his mouth. But that was funny, you know, and that's cool. Hey, if John Daly's having a good time, uh, I mean, he had a meteoric rise and a meteoric fall. Um, if things are going good for him and he's playing golf for the sun and having a good time, good on him, man. That's cool. Well, see, Tiger was golfing with Matt Kuchar and his kid. And I just uh,
1: watching the four of them golf. And it was intense at times. It was competitive at times, but you know what? It was fun to watch these guys laugh. They were sharing yeah. jokes. They were having a great conversation and really isn't that what go- golf for me Look, I'm not great. I'm a bogeyman, right? Like, for the, for the most part, I'll shoot an 18 to a 20 handicap. And I'm fine with that. The, the thing for me with golf, and one of my goals starting up in this new year is to get back golfing. Again, I've been off for three years because of my health. So that's a goal yeah. for me is to get back on the course because I miss that social interaction where I can go out for four and a half hours, five hours, and if and I have a lot of fun because I know I'm not on the pro tour, but watching those guys have fun this weekend just got me really charged up about getting going with golf again.
2: Well, I tell you what, there's the, you, you touched on the prime point. Golf becomes a lot more fun when you realize you're not good enough and never will be anywhere near close enough to be on any kind of tour. When I finally got that through my head, um, I started to enjoy the game. And unfortunately, like you, not for the same reasons, I have not played a single round of golf in three years. Um, for somebody that used to take golf vacations, right. um, that's really oddball. So, yeah, I, may, maybe down the road I get back at it too. But events like that, you look at it and you go, isn't that That's the way it should be? Have fun. We're not playing for anything except having a, a cold one uh, along the way and having a good laugh with pals. There's no prize money at the end of the line. And we both have
1: teenagers at home. I've got a 15-year-old who is 6'4", 210 pounds, who towers over me? Who's starting to get into golf? And so, as I watched what happened over the weekend, I thought to myself, I got to get me a little bit of that magic going at home, and I got to get back on that golf course this year because I just thought that looked so much fun for those yeah. guys. And I want to, I want to be able to get in on the fun again. So there's that. Hey, uh, got to encourage everybody with COVID kind of floating around the way it is right now to play safe over the holidays. Robin, you got any plans over the holidays? Cause this is it for us for this calendar year.
2: No, we're uh, well, plenty. We are going to, uh, we're going to spend it at home and, uh, have our dinner here and, uh, uh, have our oldest son and his, uh, lovely girlfriend over. That will be our, uh, what's the name of that again? In, uh, that would be our cohort, uh, group, uh, two people, two guests and, uh, that's what we like to do. We have it here that now that we've got the house and the room Um, and that's, uh, and just kick back and, and relax a little bit. Uh, um, You know, that's uh, close to home and taking it easy. Maybe watch some lame Christmas movies. um, No such thing that we've, that we've seen 10 times already and uh, just enjoy So yeah, I know just being together is good enough for me. We have a Christmas dinner plan. We'll have 50
1: people over. I'm just kidding. Anyway, the, uh, we'll, we'll be following all the rules and the regs. And, and like you, you know, it's funny. Some of these old Christmas movies, uh, and you refer to them as lame, I, I don't see them as lame. I see them as being a refresher every year, just reminding me how important a lot of things are in life. Uh, I'm a big believer in, uh, and I always watch It's a Wonderful Life, and I'll tell you why. Because yes. I think the messaging in that movie, and that was never a Christmas movie. That movie was released in the summer. That movie was filmed in the summer. In fact, when he's running down Main Street saying hi, uh, movie house, and hi, uh, Emporium, and all that stuff, that was filmed in July in Hollywood, and the snow was melting like crazy. It was like around 85, 90 degrees. Anyway, that movie was not designed to be a Christmas movie, but it's turned into one because of the messaging, and that is people wanting to know, what their life would be like if they'd never been born and how much we touch people's lives just by being here. There's a huge message in that movie. And I just think that some may look at it as being lame or old because it's black and white. Uh, I know that the black and white thing kind of freaks out the 15 year old at home. Uh, but it's the message that's involved there. And I think that there's a lot of great messages. Uh, Christmas Carol with Alistair Sim, the Scrooge movie is still great. Uh, the messaging is is so important. I don't think the messaging Absolutely. will ever be lame.
2: And lame is and lame for me is tongue and cheap. Oh, I know. I've seen I've seen every one of these. Some in some cases thirty or forty times. Um, and on a party note from me, Die Hard is a Christmas movie. <sighs> okay, sure. Thanks very much,
1: Hans Gruber. Well, the, anyway, uh, I saw the Hans Gruber uh, Christmas card is out. I saw it online the other day, and it made me laugh. It was all of his henchmen around him on a table and Merry Christmas, that kind of stuff. Hey, uh, before we go here, make sure you check us out on Twitter. The handle's really simple. It is at Outsiders2020. I know what you're thinking. It's almost 2022. I guess, should we change that handle at some point? Although 2020 is when we get started. I have no trouble with it, and 2020 is how we tend to look at life anyway.
2: So I tell you, Brent, when you look hey, when you drive over those old big old concrete bridges, you'll see nineteen fifty-nine when it was started, when it was built. Uh, I guess they so. don't go there every year and put a new number on well, it. That's true. So I think 2020 works just fine.
1: Okay, that's fine. Make sure you tell your friends to subscribe to our RSS feed on any of your favorite your candy sites like Apple, Google, Spotify, Pocket Cast, etc. We're also on YouTube. Who knows what's coming up in the next year? I'm looking forward to it. I record at the Road 55 Studio in downtown Edmonton. Robin, do you have a name for your studio yet? We've been asking. You're down in the southwest portion of the city.
2: No name no, yet. Uh, no, but uh, you know what? Maybe, maybe over the break, I'll uh, I'll come up with something. Right now, it's okay. just the uh, it's just the uh, luxurious home studio in uh, uh, in Cameron Heights. So, okay. Uh, All right. I'll, I'll, I'll leave it at that for now. I'm not forcing
1: you or anything, but a catchy name would be really kind of neat. You know, just come up with something if you can. You got some time here, a couple of weeks. Yes. Anyway, uh, looking forward to uh, the upcoming year and who knows what's in front of us. Robin, happy holidays to you.
2: Yeah, and to you and uh, Lori and the whole family as well. Uh, Bren, uh, Merry Christmas. And, and hey, you know what? To those uh, of uh, you out there who download this and give us a listen uh before the uh before during the christmas break uh, uh merry christmas to you as well we uh we're uh, thrilled that you take the time to uh, uh have a listen to what uh these two old guys have to say from time to time absolutely let's end it on that ho 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 <laughs>
1: I'm in the castle, Road Fifty Five.